0: Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have on as our guest, Dr. Christine Coleman, PhD LMFT. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist speaker, and consultant who specializes in the intersection of mental health and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Over the past 13 years, she has provided clinical support in the areas of adolescent and women's mental health, attachment trauma, couples therapy, and a niche approach for people of color who have experienced various forms of racial trauma in and out of the workplace. She's also the founder and executive director of Soul Sisters, Inc., a nonprofit focused on ensuring that women from all backgrounds have access to opportunities for personal and professional evolution. Her unique approach to mental health through an intersectional lens has landed her on celebrity panels and as a desired speaker for companies and organizations. Dr. Coleman has been featured in Vogue, HuffPost, Variety, and Fast Company magazines, and has been recognized internationally throughout Bermuda, Canada, and South Africa. Today, we talk about the important work she does to support the mental health of women of color leaders. Welcome, Dr. Coleman. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So the topic today is a topic that you know well because you work with this population. You work with women of color and specifically women leaders as well. That's right. So I'm so curious how you develop the specialty, why you're interested in this group and what drives you to move forward and find ways to help them even more. Yeah, thank
1: you. That's a great question. Well, first and foremost, I identify as a woman of color. I identify as Mexican, Iranian American, and my mother is Mexican American. My father is from Iran, currently lives there, but I've always navigated the world as, even before I had the term for it, as a young girl of color, woman of color, I didn't feel like I necessarily fit in one group or another, even though I was raised by my mother who has Spanish speaking family members. And so I was exposed to Latino culture, but I wasn't necessarily feeling like I 100% fit in there. So to use kind of a broadened term of woman of color feels very fitting for me. And I know that A broader sense, we are now moving towards BIPOC women and using kind of these more inclusive terms that separate our different cultures and racial and ethnic identities. But for the sake of just going on with the term, women of color has been something that I think is overarchingly an opportunity for women who don't identify as white or identify with certain privileges that systemically have been placed on on many people in our country. Feels fitting. And the question is a really unique one, uh, Dr. Josephine, because. I identify personally, but when I first started in the field of mental health, I was placed at different internships, predominantly with marginalized communities. And I started to get more insight, especially working with youth and their families as to how mental health was stigmatized in various ways, cross-culturally. I also had great insight into how people navigate their own emotions in specific cultures and also how we as women, even if we are diverse across the board, how we navigate our mental health and our emotions. And even though we're all complex individual human beings, there were certain commonalities that were coming up that I can share in a moment. But it's really interesting to think back to like the high school age, ages of girls working with Latinas, immigrant families, Black girls, Filipinx girls, API girls in the school setting, girls who identify as mixed race or mixed ethnicities and trying to find their place and trying to find their way. And so now fast forward, I've worked with women a lot. I started a women's nonprofit called Soul Sisters Inc. almost nine years ago that focuses predominantly on women's health. And our our mission is really to bring women of all backgrounds together under the guise of mental health, as well as physical health and the arts to find a different way to empower them in their wellness. And so with all that said, it really funneled into my doctoral dissertation work where I did immense research on my own, as well as gathered different research that exists among different populations of women and how women activists are impacted psychologically by the activist work that they do. And so starting from my own identity to the work I've done as a young woman working with teenagers and then into my adulthood now with a nonprofit and now my own practice and working with companies to really help them provide an environment that centers on belonging and equity within their corporations is really where I've found most value in seeing kind of the lifespan of women who I once worked with as young kids, kind of getting the adult version of them and seeing how that plays out. So it's been a journey I actually never thought I would End up here. I don't know how else to say that. I guess all of us can kind of speak to that of like, how did I kind of get into this this niche? But I'm really glad I have.
0: Wow, it's an incredible journey, and it's so many different experiences and amazing things that you've created along the way.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Yeah. So. I'm just curious. I mean, I want to hear more about Soul Sisters, but I also want to hear about your clinical work that you do. You, you talk about working with big companies, but I know you also work with individuals on a one-on-one basis. And so I don't know where you want to start in terms of thinking about kind of the clinical journey that you have with people.
1: Absolutely. So to kind of backtrack i mentioned working in the school system so throughout my education from my ba to then getting my masters at the university of san francisco i was placed at an all girls college preparatory high school in the san francisco mission district and that again is where i got exposure to learning how to not only practice this thing i was doing called marriage and family therapy but also have more insight even though i identify as a woman of color to get a really broad sense of how low income cross cultural language barriers, just all these different forms of marginalization impact young women's mental health. And it was then where I got my license and I decided, I think I want to go get my PhD. And I have my PhD in marriage and family therapy as well. And I had some naysayers saying, you don't need one. And for me, it was personal because my mother actually is the first one in my entire family to go get her master's degree. And she had to break through a lot of barriers being Latina herself. And thankfully, she never pushed me to, but thankfully she set it up to have a great example for me to not only get my master's, but to push a bit harder and go to school again for my PhD. And that was, again, such a personal choice, but also one where I wanted to be able to allow other young girls, young women of color, if you will, and even older to see that there are more of us representing in these fields, especially at these educational levels. And so with that said, I was at the school site and then I took a break because I became a mom and I actually moved abroad to live in Bermuda with my husband, which is, I know, kind of ironic (laughs) and strange, but it was a great opportunity for me to be a present mother to my firstborn. And then I also finished my dissertation work. When we moved back, it was pretty much when the pandemic hit. I had just had my second child who was a newborn. He was born in January, 2020. So he was born right before the pandemic hit. And even though I had finished my doctoral work and was still running Soul Sisters, even though much much of that was remote while I was away, it was an opportunity for me to start getting into these speaking spaces and launch my private practice in the wake of the pandemic because there was such a demand for me to come speak on panels, although virtually, right? And so it started gearing me up again of, oh, maybe there is a need here. And although it's not ideal that I have this newborn, I could do virtual work. And so with that said, It's been a really beautiful journey to see me blossom, if you will, as a clinician, because I think for me and maybe many out there, our journeys are so diverse. And for me, I thought that I was going to get my PhD, go be a professor somewhere. And that was my story. I have always, always also had a very entrepreneurial spirit. So for me, it was, well, maybe I'll just start a small practice. And then companies were starting to invite me to come speak because their employees were really suffering emotionally and they needed some additional support. And then I started realizing there's a lot of opportunity in corporate and even various organizational settings where I could come support people who are in nonprofits or various forms of institutions. And then here I am starting a new coaching program that supports women of color leaders. And so I just, Really find great value in knowing that in our field as clinicians, there are so many different lanes we can go in. Many of those are not taught to us in the formal school uh, university setting, and so it's been a journey of trying to find my way through those.
0: And I wonder, you know, we're talking about women of color leaders as well. What common themes you see? Like what what comes up and what often is talked about?
1: Absolutely. Well in the wake of, again, having my own practice that predominantly centers on BIPOC, on people of color. So I do have some male identifying clients. Majority of them are women of color. And then beautifully speaking, they all are directors, managers, people who are in these really high up spaces in university academic settings. And so I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. I didn't necessarily brand myself that way, but these are the wonderful people I've gotten in my practice. And then subsequently, working with people in these kind of group settings, even though I'm more formally doing trainings, I've also been able to have an ear open in the corporate settings of what's happening with people of color, especially women of color, when they come to my presentations, right? And so, and then lastly, I have a women of color thriving therapy group, and that's been running for about a year and a half. And so, these are my opportunities to be able to start collecting my own version of data what's going on, what are they experiencing? And really across the board, Josephine, I've noticed a couple of things. The pandemic has hit everyone. The pandemic has hit everyone in our own ways have been incredibly challenging. And then interestingly enough, the George Floyd murder sparked up something really just kind of groundbreaking in our country and even across the world, but also in a way where it led a lot of people of color, specifically women of color to feel as if this is this you're barely aware of this now. this has been our life for all, a life as we know it, right. And so while the intent is good and while companies, especially companies I work with in the diversity equity and inclusion aspect of things are really trying hard trying to make things more equitable, having really complicated and uncomfortable conversations, Women of color are spread too thin because we wear multiple hats as women in general, being parents, mothers, usually taking the heavier load of things compared to our male counterparts, trying to find ways to navigate working from home, doing school from home, taking kids different places, the gamut of things that the pandemic came with. But then the emotional weight, the emotional, ongoing, repetitive, and even vicarious trauma that women of color have had to hold because oftentimes we're the ones who are in these nurturing spaces and we're the ones who have to hold it down with our families and the women in the different spaces I've navigated have expressed those exact same things that we are tired. We're exhausted. We are quite frankly annoyed that we keep on having to be the ones to explain things to people, be the ones to hold these spaces for folks, even though this is not my responsibility. I have one client I can think of who's she's a black woman who says, I don't know how I ended up being on your DEI team. I didn't ask for that, but just because I'm one of the few Black people here doesn't mean I automatically get lumped into your DEI efforts. I just want to come to work. And the other thing too, that's really powerful is like her, so many say, if I want to set up a boundary with how much I give to these efforts, even though they're well-meaning, and I say, I don't have emotional nor time capacity to be able to add this onto my work that I'm also not getting paid for, right? I don't want to run the risk of losing my job or being then re-stereotyped into something of not wanting to be a team player or not wanting to contribute to the greater workplace culture. And so those are the things that, bring up a lot of fear and anxiety for the women that I've been working with. And if we read various articles and just more and more content and data that's coming up among these circles of women, women in their spaces are just really trying to push for, I, I want to be respected. I want to be heard. I want to be invited and moved into higher executive level roles where your DEI talk is not performative, but it's actually creating change within the company where our voices are being heard, respected, and then implemented into these models, Right. But also taking into consideration that even though there's more diversity, even though there's more push and emphasis on diversifying teams, the belonging component is still really lacking. Mm -hmm. Are you moving me up and inviting me into these spaces and taking into consideration that I'm still a minority here and how uncomfortable that can be for me and how I'm still having to code switch, meaning if anyone doesn't familiar with that word, trying to put on our most professional selves that might be seen as, Oh, look at her or look at him or look at them. They, they fit in here. They're not like those stereotypes of them over there in their cultures. Right. And that can be something we as people of color get really good at, but also can, when we stop and pause, it can feel really exhausting. So those are a few that, that come to mind for me.
0: Yeah. And it also makes me think how important a group is. So these women must feel so alone, right? And to be able to have a group of other women who can relate seems like it would be quite powerful and healing. Thank you for saying that. Absolutely. That's what I've really tried to cultivate in these spaces.
1: Even with my nonprofit, it's a bit different because we do a lot of service-based work, especially to vulnerable communities, but and it also includes women of privilege in, in various capacities in the nonprofit space. But in these spaces that are more focused on therapeutic interventions, and again, just group, a space of belonging and healing, I really do consider it such a great effort that these women have become vulnerable enough to come into these spaces and trust me as someone that might not have exact life experience that we, we, our life experiences don't have to align exactly, but there's some commonality there. And our group is diverse. And the women I serve are diverse have some from that are again, API identifying Latinx, identifying Philippinex black women. And I think that sometimes, especially right now, there's great conversation about, you know, your experience as a Black person is not going to be the same experience, even systemically as a Latinx person or as an Asian person, right? Which is all true. It's all true. But it's interesting when we bring these groups together that they, again, culturally, there's many dynamics that are the same or, or similar, but then there's great comfort and learning in seeing that, yes, we are in this kind of subset of people. And there was this, I'll pause real quickly because it just came to mind. I was reading something online by an activist. I can't remember who it was, but they said something like, if we are people of color, then who are people? And it really made me think like, it's true. We have operated in these in these systems for so long as the other. And then mm-hmm. we all get piled into this, this pool of people to just assume that we're all one in the same. And we're not. But with that said, what I'm trying to cultivate and so far as have seen beautiful outcomes is even though we've been pulled together, not necessarily voluntarily, and we do have differences within our, our cultures and our upbringings, that there is opportunity to learn and to lean into and onto one
0: another. Yeah. How many people are in your group? Right now we have seven. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We have seven. And so that is, again, a therapy group and focused on ongoing therapy, mental health, specific topics and conversations that come up. And now with this coaching angle I'm taking, which is again, a a new and vulnerable space for me, myself, it's an opportunity for more groups to be developed, but maybe in a bit of a different sense. So coaching can differ from therapy. We know that, but in a really goal oriented space, but still with the root of creating community and opportunities for us to lean on each other, to help us know we're not alone.
0: So I wonder who would be kind of a really good candidate for your coaching? Yeah, that's a really good
1: question. So that's been a, a fun one. I think that you and several of us who are in these private practice or working for ourselves, is just really honing in on who are our ideal clients. And for me, identifying as a woman of color, occupying some sort of leadership space. So managerial, directorial, executive, entrepreneurial, a woman who is maybe finishing up her schooling and wants to launch into something and doesn't really quite know where to go. Someone who is navigating work and taking on these kind of really unique leadership aspects of things of being at the forefront of having to to care for their businesses or whether they're their own or others, but then also trying to navigate life. And so having this unique component of being a leader in whatever sense but also trying to navigate how does that impact my marriage or my relationship or even my dating journey, my children, if they have children. I myself am very much in that boat too. And I'm also caring for an ill relative of mine. And then there are people similarly who I've heard. I'm not only a mom and navigating this leadership thing, but I also have aging parents. I have people in my, in my life who, especially in our cultures, it's an ingrained sense of responsibility to care for our elders or care for those in our extended families. And so really navigating and bridging the gaps between my leadership role. I have great dreams. I have great visions for my life. I would like some support around that. I identify as a woman of color. So I, I also, even though there are several dynamic women leaders, there's a different sense Of leadership when it comes to carrying these various intersectional identities that we carry by just being ourselves and then going into the life and, and kind of everyday relationship, especially relationships with ourselves. So that would be the ideal person to, to apply for the program.
0: Interesting. Well, it's great hearing all about the varied work that you do. I wanted to ask I mean, we'll for sure have your information on the episode description in terms of other resources. Are there other resources that you think you might want to kind of mention to the listener? Yeah, thank you. So if you are connected with me and signed up for my mailing list, I have a couple of
1: pre recorded courses that I've done. One is specific to parents, especially parents who are in need of support for their children who are navigating the pandemic emotionally and know that we're maybe in a different space when that was held, but we're still in it. And that could be just an opportunity to Support parents or caregivers who have children who have had a hard time throughout this season, a very long season of the pandemic. Another pre recorded course I have is on how to find and keep love. A lot of that is centered on attachment and how people, especially again, going back to this leadership role, but not necessarily only them, but how people in general are just looking to connect and. Find and really just retain a healthy, loving, romantic relationship. So those are my two pre-recorded courses I have available. I also created one of my favorite things I've created is a digital coloring book for kids and families to connect together. And it is really simple. It has positive affirmations in it to really help children feel. Loved and supported and also an opportunity for parents and caregivers to connect with their children through creativity. Mm-hmm. So that is another resource. The last one I want to plug that also really ties into the women of color theme is I created a journal called Women of Color Thriving and it hits on all the things I talked about and will be talking about and teaching in my coaching program. So anything from imposter syndrome to self-care to setting boundaries to our business goals, our goals and our relationships, the guided journals. So you have different prompts in there too and I'm just proud of it. <laughs> so proud of yeah. that. Yeah. So those are a few.
0: These all sound like great resources. Thank you. Yeah. Well, before we say goodbye, and I will say again, all of these, your, your information will be on the episode description. So people can access those things that you mentioned any last words before we leave any words of that you want to leave the listener with before yeah. we say goodbye.
1: Yeah, I mean, two things here. For those who are listening who identify as BIPOC women, women of color, you are holding a lot. We are holding a lot in this space. And I think that it's just one opportunity to lean into radical rest. Lean into radical restoration, opportunities for joy. We just, the timing of this recording, we just have been living through a weekend of mass shootings that are all specific to communities of color. And it is just a really trying time across the board, but even present day. And so we have to be able to have the tenderness and self-care towards ourselves to be able to draw boundaries with what the intake that we have with the news and be able to surround ourselves with rest joy positive circles community that we can really lean into that is some of this the most powerful healing and remedies that i can provide folks in support of of you and then for those who identify as white or identify as others who don't really know what your role is in this and how to create opportunity the the number one thing is just continuing to listen because so many people are stepping into this kind of woke factor which is you know it's important But a lot of times it can still cause harm. And so while you're doing your learning, while you're doing your uncovering of maybe implicit bias or doing some anti-racist work, continue to know that you are not the expert. You are a learner and that's okay right? as it's okay. This is not your lived experience and it likely won't ever be, but there's an opportunity to learn and exercise compassion while you continue to unpack whatever is, is within you. So the goal here across the board is community is compassion and unity. And it's going to take some time to get there, I believe, but they're baby steps. And this is a, a marathon, not a sprint.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm glad we have you along for the journey. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Well, thanks for being on. I appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Josephine. I appreciate you. This has been Mind Stories with me, Josephine McNary of Cal Psychiatry. With online psychiatry in California and 13 offices throughout Southern California and the Bay Area, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, ADHD, anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com and let us help you get back to your true self. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe.